0: My name is uh, Dan. I'm the campus pastor here. I want to thank you guys all for being here. Very exciting today. It's interesting as we sang about the goodness of the Lord, I was just kind of overcome by something that just happened yesterday. Yesterday, um, I took all of my kids for eye appointments. There's only three of them, so that's not, but all of them. It's still all, but, and, uh. And the doctor, when my youngest, who's 10, uh, came out with the, with the optometrist, he said, actually, it's really weird. I've never seen this before. He doesn't need glasses anymore. And uh, my, uh, my youngest son has been, uh, so we were like, oh, wow, that's kind of, and he's like, I want to see him next week, year just in case, like, he grows too much the other way. But, yeah, he doesn't need glasses anymore. And this made my, my youngest son, Isaac, very, very <laughs> excited. And that I was like, have you been, Praying not to wear glasses? And he was like, yeah, since I was six. (laughs) This kid has been praying for something for 40% of his life. And it just happened yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, you can applaud that. That's God's goodness. So I just want to encourage anyone, like, if you... Have you been praying for something that feels like it's a really long time, but it's still less than 40% of your total life? <laughs> Keep praying. Keep praying. Because God does things in his time. So um, today we're talking about uh, the book of Revelation. I'm kind of like laying the groundwork for this thing as we go through our whole summer series. And I know that uh, when we talk about the book of Revelation, There are some of you that are like, I'm out, forget it, I'm done. No book of Revelation for me, thank you very much. I don't want to hear anything about it. And i am got to be honest, for most of my life, this was me, right? I was in this camp. I grew up in a church where we talked about the book of Revelation uh, and the end of the world all the time. And then when I became an adult, I was like, I want nothing to do with it. So I was just like, anytime there was like, we're going to do a series on Revelation. And I'm like, I am very busy the next succession of Sundays right okay so if you're like that that's okay I'm I'm with you all right. and then there's another group of you over here that when you hear we're gonna talk about the book of Revelation you're too excited like you're way into it you're like yeah let's talk about the end of the world you're like people who 20 years ago went to see that movie Armageddon and then cheered for the asteroid right Right? So you're very, very excited. And I want to say, like, you guys, you might have a little bit of a problem with this series, just because we're not going to be talking that, about that so much. But we have to acknowledge that this is, we've talked about the book of Revelation in some unhealthy ways in the past that have prevented us from getting into it. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I was in this group of adults who were reading the book of Revelation, and they talked about the rulers, and someone mentioned... So, someone popped up I wonder if one of the rulers that they're talking about is Joe Giz now if you're not familiar with Joe Giz, who Joe Giz is that's fine Joe Giz was the premier of Prince Edward Island from 1986 to 1993 and I'm pretty sure that John writing his revelation of Jesus was not discussing Joe Giz, premier of Prince Edward Island, from 1986 to 1993. But this was the group that we were in, right? The game with the book of Revelation was to find something that applied to now, right? And I'm old enough to remember when Jesus was going to return in 1988, if anybody remembers that. Yeah, okay, there we are. We got one person, right? I'm old enough to remember when Jesus was going to turn and return in 1996, Right? I've heard at least seven different world figures being antichrists in my lifetime, right? So if you're in this camp, like, we're not, we're, I, I want to help get you out of this camp, right? If you're the person who's like, yeah, I'm going to cheer for the asteroid at the end of the world, I want to move you out here, okay? Because we want to start talking about other things. Because the reality is, when we talk about the seven churches of Revelation, we're talking about seven churches. Can we go to the next slide, please? So this is John writing a letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia. This is his letter. The same as all of Paul's letters. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Okay? And there's this weird thing that happens to us sometimes in the evangelical church that we get to the book of Revelations and we all forget how to read right words don't mean words anymore everything is a symbol for something else and you can't figure it out on your own you need to buy the latest uh, collection of cassette tapes by a guy from the US and he will explain it to you right we're not going to do this this when when John is writing letters to seven churches in the province of Asia he is writing letters to seven churches in the province of Asia can we go to the next slide These are the seven churches, right? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, right? These are real towns, okay? They're writing these to real places. These are real churches with real people, with real geography, with real economies and jobs and governments, and all of the things that go into being a real place are here in the book of Revelation, okay? Okay? and the reason why the towns are in the order that they're in is because that's where the road would go right there were one of the ma- major things about the Romans is that they made roads it made the Empire really easy to get through much more so than anywhere else in the ancient world the road started in Ephesus it went to Smyrna it went to Pergamum it went to Thyatira it went to Sardis it went to Philadelphia and it went to Laodicea right so if Paul had have been writing to the seven churches of, of Alberta, right? Or John had have been writing to the seven churches of Alberta, And he said, and he wrote to Grand Prairie first, right? then Stony Plain oh, sorry, be like, we'll, we'll leave out Stony Plain. There's no church in Stony Plain. Um, you just So Grand Prairie, then St. Albert, then Edmonton, then Red Deer, then Calgary then Nanton, because they have that cool candy store there, then Lethbridge, right? We wouldn't ask weird questions about why are these in the order that they're in. They follow highway 2 pretty much, right? There's no grand mystery there. It's just the order of what they go in. And these, so these are real towns that we're going to be discussing over the next uh, eight weeks or so. Um, So I'm laying the groundwork today and then Spencer's going to be talking about Ephesus next week and then I'm going to be tagging back in for Pergamum and I think Spencer's on Philadelphia and Darian is on Thyatira and uh, Martin is on Laodicea and I can't remember who's doing Smyrna and Sardis. You can ask them later, okay? You can plan your summer accordingly. Um, (laughs) Not that you do that. That's not a good thing to do. Okay, But we're talking about seven real churches, and it's interesting, because on our Vision Sundays, we've talked about apostolic networks, and Martin has done a lot of work on this. Well, when we talk about apostolic networks, we're not talking about something that is weird in the biblical sense. John, while being imprisoned on the island of Patmos, was still the apostle over these seven churches they're all in a similar geographic area, right? They all have things going on together and he has apostolic oversight over all of them. So, the church, so Ephesus is the biggest city, but Ephesus would have had multiple different like house congregations and large gatherings. They would have had their own Bible teachers, they would have had their own prophets, they would have had their own evangelists, they would have had their own shepherds, but John is the apostle overseeing all of it. And that is where this letter is coming from. And these letters are going to have, if we can go to the next slide, they're going to have real words to say to real people about real situations. They're going to have warnings. They're going to have praises, like things that you guys have done well. I want to applaud you for this. They're going to have blessings and curses. They're going to have always an illustration of who Jesus is. Because it's important for us to remember If I asked you the question, what is the book of Revelation about? A lot of you are going to answer that question with, oh, the end of things. Or it's about eschatology. Or it's about how the world ends, right? But the reality is, according to John and according to the text itself, the book of Revelation is about Jesus. The revelation, the vision, is of Jesus and the most important thing that we can glean from the book of Revelation is not information about how and when and maybe and who and what and where about the end of the world the information that we're ought we ought to glean from the book of Revelation is who is Jesus and what does he care about those are the things that we should be investing our time in and that's what we're going to be looking at all summer long as we investigate what John is saying to these churches that that what is Jesus to these people and how is he revealing himself to them okay so it's an open letter to all the churches written by their apostolic overseer and he's writing this it's open letter so they would have been read throughout all of the different places and then they're going on so let's figure out who and what and where and when and how this book is being written so first of all we got John This book is written by John John and we believe John the disciple from the Gospels you all know who John is John one of the three with Peter James and John we know that he was uh, we know that he was often called the disciple who Jesus loved and we also know that he can beat Peter in a foot race that's a weird bit of extra information that is given to us in the Bible but but John reveals it because I think he just wanted to have one over on Peter for eternity. So, all right. So this is this is him. And, and by the time we get to this book, John is an old, old man, right? And what's interesting about this is if you go to the book uh, end of the book of, of John, um, there's a scene with Peter at the uh, <laughs> there's a scene with Peter at, at, um, at the at the sea where Jesus has a moment with Peter. And Peter, in this weird moment, looks at John and says, like, why are you talking to me? What about him? And then Jesus says, what does it matter to you? What's it to you if I leave him here until I return? That has nothing to do with you. That's what he says to Peter. And because John lived to be so old, people started believing that Jesus wasn't going to return until John died. Right? And John himself had to say at the end of the book of John, Jesus didn't say this to say that I was going to live until he returned. I'm just really old. I don't know how it happened. It happens to some people, right? So he's very old by this point. So John is writing. He's the apostolic overseer. He cares deeply about us. So we have John, and he's writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. We've already discussed that, and he continues. Grace and peace to you from who is and who was and who is to come, okay? And this is, can we go to the next one? and this is a reference to God the Father there are no tricks here right who is and who was and who is to come that is a reference to God eternal creator has been ever will be unchanging okay that's who we're talking about there's sometimes when we get to the book of Revelation we think everybody is trying to trick us no one is trying to trick you okay this is when if it looks like a reference to God the Father it's a reference to God the Father okay And then he continues, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Can we go to the next one? So this is where it gets mildly confusing because we're like, seven spirits? Well, there's seven churches. Maybe this means something to do with that. The simplest explanation is this. In the Old Testament, seven is a number of perfection. So sometimes they would describe the spirit of the Lord by having seven, six different attributes and combining those together with the Spirit of the Lord became the encompassing description of the Holy Spirit. If we can go to the next one. This is from Isaiah 11 verses one and two and this is referring to Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him and let's count together the Spirit of wisdom Oh, sorry, the spirit, let's count all the spirits. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, this end of understanding, not enough of you are counting. Do you guys not know how to count? (laughs) Because that's going to make this sermon longer if I have to explain that to you, okay? But I'm going to ask some non-rhetorical questions, and I want you to practice with me, okay? So as we keep going, we're up to three right now. Okay, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel. Thank you. The spirit of uh, and of might. The spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. The spirit, sorry, the spirit of the knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Right. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Okay. So, probably this is what he means by seven spirits. All of these spirits, all of these attributes are encompassed in. In the Holy Spirit himself. So again, so we have God the Father, and then we have the Holy Spirit. Now, this is actually, fun aside, not having anything to do with this sermon, but it's one of my favorite things in the Bible. Okay. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Okay? Now, the word for branch in Hebrew is Nazar. N-A-Z-E-R is how we would transl- transliterate it. Nazar is the word for branch. Where is Jesus from? Nazareth. Branchville. <laughs> the branch came from Branchville. It's one of my favorite Bible like funny things. It's great. It's lots of fun. Okay, go to the next one. Okay, so we've got God the Father who is and who was and who is to come. We have the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, this is what I want to spend most of our time today talking about, because we're talking about Jesus, okay? And he starts to layer on, John does, these descriptions of Jesus. And it seems very clear that what John wants most for these seven churches isn't for them to have the greatest growth strategy, it isn't for them to have the clearest idea of their financial picture, and it isn't even for them to have a strategy to reach the world. The most important thing he wants them to have is an understanding and a clear picture in their minds of who Jesus is. And this is really important for us as well, because I believe that the most important thing that we can have together as a church isn't unity, although that's really great, isn't a strategy, although that's also really great and important, it isn't even a vision, even though that is hugely important and without a vision the people perish. The most important thing that we can have together as a church is a clear picture of who Jesus is. Because it's out of that picture of who Jesus is that our lives are going to be changed and we're going to be able to overflow and change the world. Okay? So, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So non-rhetorical question time. Not a trick. Who is the ruler of the kings of the earth? When is Jesus ruler of the kings of the earth? Now. It's not in the future that he's going to be ruler of the kings of the earth, right? Now, then, forever, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, right? Do you think that that might have been important for a people who were undergoing persecution? One of the things that we know about the seven churches of Revelation is that they were scared. Some of those towns, they were having their property seized. Some of those places, their leaders were being put in prison. In some of those places, they were being persecuted, both by the religious elite and by state-run government organizations. Right? They were being hard-pressed on all sides. And to these people, Paul John doesn't say to them, like, you should be really afraid of whoever is emperor right now. Or you should be really afraid of, of this religious leader. What does he say? Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth now. So that ruler that might be coming after you, Jesus is in charge of him. That ruler who killed your other pastor, Jesus is in charge of him. That ruler who takes you and throws you into jail, Jesus is in charge of him. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth now and forever. Okay? So let's go back to something that I told you earlier. Was Jesus the ruler of Premier Joe Giz of Prince Edward Island from 1986 to 1993? And if... And if Jesus was the ruler of Premier Joe Giz of Prince Edward Island from 1986 to 1983, do you think he's in charge of our province now? Do you think he's in charge of our country now? Do you think he's in charge of all of the countries where all of these people are all watching all around the world? Jesus is the ruler of the nations now. Jesus is in charge, and we ought to let that reality affect how we approach the world. Can we go to the next one, please? This just continues. To him who loves us, Jesus, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So I would like to make us, us to make a short list. And if you've got a pen and paper, write this down. I would like us to make a list of the things that Jesus is in charge of just according to these few verses, okay? So we can, can we go back? Can we go back one slide, please? Thank you. Okay. So Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Who is in charge of life and death? Who is the ruler of the kings of the earth? Jesus. So Jesus is in charge. Right, so far we have Jesus is in charge of life and death. Jesus is in charge of the kings of the earth. Let's keep going. Go to the next one, please. To him who loves us, oh, back, 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 sorry. Who loves us and has freed us from our sins. Who's in charge of the forgiveness of our sins? So Jesus is in charge of that as well. So Jesus is in charge of, of, of life and death, kings of the earth, sin, okay, by his blood. He's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God forever and ever. Who is in charge of our vocation, our work, our calling? Who is in charge of that? So Jesus is in charge of our life and death. (laughs) Jesus is in charge of the kings of the earth. Jesus is in charge of sin. Jesus is in charge of our work and our vocation, okay? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It continues. Look, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him. Some of you, uh, can I just make a suggestion about the book of Revelation? Some of you have a translation that often says, behold, okay? Behold just means look. So in your brain, every time it says behold, just say look. And that means if you're like, and look, and and so if John says something like, and look, I saw a dragon coming out of the sea, rather than try and imagine who the dragon is, because we don't want to imagine dragons ever. um, That was a way better joke than you guys gave me credit for. The band is killing themselves right now. Um, So if you imagine... Imagine that in your brain, right? Make that picture in your mind. Look, okay? Look, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, it says the beginning and the end. That's just what that means in, in uh, Greek. It's the A and the Z, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. So Jesus is in charge of Life and death, kings of the earth, you got it, you were just a little bit early, sin, right? Our vocation, right, our work and our identity is who we are as people, and he's the beginning and the end, okay? So let me ask this also non-rhetorical question, but I want you to answer it quietly in your own head. If Jesus is in charge of all of those things, who should you fear? no one that's why it says in the bible all the time is if god is for us who can be against us it's why we can sing, and, and people have been singing in the Psalms forever, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That doesn't come out of nowhere. That's not wishful thinking. That We sing those things because Jesus is in charge of life and death. He's in charge of the rulers of the earth. He's in charge of sin. He's in charge of our bodies. Jesus is in charge of every single thing that we can ever encounter. So we, as followers of Jesus, as people who are connected to him, do not have to be afraid of anything. I think that could get a cheer. (laughs) In my entire ministry career, that is the first time I have done that. So I didn't feel great about it, so I probably won't do it again. But yeah, it was fun. You guys did awesome. I felt weird. Um, Jesus is in charge of absolutely everything now and forever. And we need to remember that because that changes everything about how we approach the world. If Jesus is in charge of all of that, do we have to worry about the actions and activities of our neighbors? Do we have to worry about whether or not our neighbor believes the exact same thing about Jesus as us yet? No. We love them anyway because Jesus is in charge. Right? Does that mean we have to worry when the person that we like either gets elected or not elected? No. No. Because Jesus is in charge of whoever gets elected Jesus is in charge now and forever and eternally does that mean we have to worry when a musical artist or a movie studio makes a video or a movie that we don't like No, because Jesus is in charge of that now and forever, and it's not going to change our eternity. Do we have to worry when things don't go our way in our own lives? Do we have to worry when, as a -a five-and-a-half-year-old, we're prescribed glasses and think that this might be our entire life, just being a weird glasses wearer like my dad? Do we have to be scared of that? No, because when you're 10 years old, God can miraculously make your eyes grow somehow. We don't have to be afraid Of anything and one of the most important things that we can do as mature Christians is whenever you hear someone from a stage like this who looks like me or who claims to be speaking for Jesus if they're trying to cause you fear stop listening to them because Jesus is in charge now and forever and he's in charge of your life he's in charge of your death he's in charge of your vocation it's amazing there's this one moment in, in, in the Gospels where Jesus is talking to someone, to his disciples, and they're worried about what's going to happen to them with the religious elites and, and, and the, the government leaders. And they're just like, what's going to, they're a little bit worried about what's going to happen. And Jesus says to them, don't fear those who can destroy the body. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Which is great because Eugene Peterson translates that differently. He says, don't fear anyone who can just kill you. Fear the one who when, who when he's killed you is not done with you yet. We need to shift our eyes away from what is happening in this world and shift our eyes towards Jesus who is doing amazing things in this world and in us. Let's go to the next passage. This is from 1 John. John wrote this letter as well to his church. This is another apostolic letter that John wrote to his churches, okay? And in this one, he says this. There is no fear in love. You cannot love your neighbor as we have been commanded to by Jesus and be afraid of your neighbor. It just doesn't work. But there is no fear in love because perfect But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't been made perfect in love yet. Because I get anxious About, is my truck going to last another year? I get anxious about, am I going to be able to afford to pay for this renovation that we're in the middle of? I get anxious about, are enough people going to like me? I get anxious that there's a weird kind of bump that's happening in my mouth that's never happened before. Am I going to die within a year? I get anxious about all of those sorts of things. But when I get anxious about all of those things, I need to remind myself that Jesus is in charge of life and death. Jesus is in charge of the rulers in the earth Jesus is in charge of everything Jesus is in charge of sin Jesus is in charge of the beginning and the end now and forever and knowing that and living in that changes absolutely everything so I want us to pray together and I want us to stand if you could stand right now and I'm not gonna get you to repeat stuff because i Martin's really good at that and I haven't quite learned how to do that yet but I'm gonna pray And you guys are going to pray as well in your hearts. But I want us to pray this. God, we pray that you would genuinely impress on us your power and your position and your authority in this world. Help us to remember that you were in charge of our life and death. Help us to remember that you are in charge of the kings of the earth. You are in charge of our sin and our forgiveness. You are in charge of the beginning and the end of things. You are in charge of everything now and forever and always. And because you love us, we can go into this world fearlessly, sharing your love, sharing your goodness, sharing your grace, because there is no fear in love, and your love is so overwhelming, so all-encompassing that it drives out any anxiety, any fear, anything that creeps in. So we pray, God, that you would would so pack your love into us that there is no room for fear. So pack your love into us that there is no room for, for any doubt. Pack your love so into us that there is no room for anxiety. And let us leave here boldly, loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name.